Lord, that is your gospel. That is the good news that you came from heaven to earth to pay our debts. May we be stirred in that and in, 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 in worship as we continue to worship in your word, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, go ahead and open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Um, there's wonder in technology. I have a smartwatch. When somebody texts me, I can see the text on it. This is like a $20 or $30 smartwatch. And my wife, uh, who saves my bacon more often than not, reminded me that I need to tell you guys, although it doesn't matter for anyone in this room, for anybody that watches online, I'm going to try a different audio solution. So next week, if somebody cranks up the audio, which they need to to be able to hear the Facebook live feed, their speakers may catch fire uh, because it's going to be significantly louder. So thank you, honey, for saving my bacon. Um, all right, so like I said, go ahead and open up in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. We've been going through the Sermon on the Mount and Matthew chapter 6 is a consistent thought. Uh, the sermon title for this week is, is Secret Righteousness and Prayer. Just like last week we talked about secret righteousness and giving, this week we're going to talk about secret righteousness and prayer. Matthew, or, uh, Jesus gives in the Sermon on the Mount three examples of secret righteousness, and this is Number two, so verses 5 through 15. I know this is breaking from my usual style of reading two verses and going through them, but I really want us to have more of a flyover view. But today we're going to meet actually one of the sweetest and most precious things that were offered in Jesus, um, and that being prayer. It's true that all religions include some sort of a concept of prayer, um, however, as, as Isaiah points out several times, prayer to any other religion is really just a prayer to an idol. It's a prayer to nothing. It's a prayer to a block of wood. Or, if you're a Buddhist, uh, a prayer to a, a block of stone that's shaped like a very chubby man. Um, Christian, uh, and, and in prayer, usually the way prayer is defined, if we're talking from an all-world perspective, is that it's seeking or grabbing the ear of a deity or deities. But Christian prayer is not grabbing the ear of a deity, because that would presume that God has turned his eye from us, right? Usually you have to get somebody's attention because they look away, but that's not how God is. See, God's gaze is already focused on us. So when we pray, it's not us trying to grab the ear of a deity, it's actually us turning back and looking at him to talk to him. Christian prayer is, is about us looking on the one who's looking on us with love already. Often we turn our faces away with shame, maybe with disinterest or forgetfulness, but the Christian feels those. Not God. God does not have a moment where he goes, yeah, you know what? I'm tired of caring about Scott. I'm going to look away. I'm not going to look at him right now. The Christian is viewed by our Heavenly Father with endless love. And we have all our reasons to be ashamed, but they're covered by the blood of God himself. The, and we should be constantly interested in him, and yet we struggle with that, don't we? 
Can you say that throughout your whole day, you are constantly interested in the one who died for you? No. No, because we forget. We shouldn't, but we do. We should be ashamed of our sin. We, 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 we certainly are disinterested and we are forgetful. We're weary. We're needy of God in this sin-scarred world. We're the ones who need to repent, to turn. Not God. Not our creator. And that's why prayer is one of the sweetest and most wonderful things that Jesus gives us. It's because we get to talk to the one who died for us. We're not talking to a block of stone or a block of wood. We're talking to the living God who came. So let's read our verses for today. So Matthew chapter 5, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 6, I got so used to saying chapter 5. Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 15. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words." Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is the word of the Lord. There is a lot there. So, uh, all right. Well, that was brilliant. I put down the remote, and now I forgot where I put the remote. Oh, there it is. Hold on. Almost need one of those like beepers that uh, beeps, like I can press on my key and make it ring for me. Um, but just like previous weeks, you've got your sermon summary right at the top on the inside of the bulletin. And the sermon summary for this week is that prayer is pure dependence on God. All right, give me just a sec. I'm sorry. One of these days I'll be quicker. Um, it's okay. My running commentary of uh, just not being prepared is getting old on me. <laughs> um, all right. So, oh, uh, really? <laughs> I did not hit that button. Machine, do your job. End of show. Now I know why. This, by the way, is to help you and help me, but it's not helping me right now, and I apologize for that. All right, prayer is an act, sorry, of pure dependence on God. That's our sermon summary for, for this one. So we're going to walk through our verses, again, in, in a little bit more of a flyover than, than we might in, uh, for, uh, 
for previous sections. Um, and I want us to see this, th these different points develop. There's four points for you this week. Uh, all right, point number one. There we go. I am dependent on God's glory because my glory fades. Go ahead and look at uh, Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 to 6. That's, that's what Jesus is trying to convey about the contrast of the hypocrites, is that the, the hypocrites are trying to build their own glory. That's why they're praying. They're not actually praying because they, they're dependent on God. They're praying because they want to be seen. And it's easy for us to think that we need to pray so others are going to hear us. It's easy to think that. I'm, I, I went to Bible college, right? We're told in Bible college, hey, guess what? When you go home for family gatherings, you know who's going to be expected to pray, don't you? You. <laughs> it's not dad anymore. It's not grandpa. It's you. Why? Because you go to Bible college, and therefore, you know how to pray. And pastors are sometimes asked to pray for public events, for going to like the opening of a new building, or maybe there's some ceremony or a, like a leader's luncheon. And pastors, not me, but <laughs> are asked often to go to these things. And so something deep in our hearts really wants to be recognized that being good at praying. When we stand before, like me right now, if I were to stand before you and start praying, I don't want to sound like a doofus. That's really not my goal. So we want others to think that we pray well, but that's not really what Jesus is talking about here. What, what he's talking about is, is not condemning public prayer. He's condemning the attitude that these hypocrites had. Look at verse, uh, verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. See, these hypocrites are not going to pray because they're not really dependent on God. What are they dependent on? On other people glorifying them. Yes, oh, please keep saying those, those, those comments of, of adoration of my ability to articulate our needs. How many three-syllable words can you put in a sentence? <laughs> but that's why they're doing it. They just want the praise and adoration of other people. They don't care about God listening. They don't even care that God is listening. Why? Because they want their reward. So Jesus says, truly I say to you, they have received their reward. And it's not from God. See, our glory is vanity. Our glory is nothing but vain deception. Because to think that we should be recognized for our ability to pray is foolishness. It's, it's utter foolishness. Why? Our glory fades. I, I had to sleep on the floor. My boys got up, like, I'm, I'm going to say a hundred times, but it's not that many. But they had to get a hundred times, they got up a hundred times the other night. And so I had just had it. And so I slept on the floor between their two beds. Not that uncommon, um, but, uh, but, but I slept on the floor between their two beds for a couple hours, and I woke up, and you know what? I was aching. I hurt. I hurt. I slept on a floor. Ten years ago, wouldn't have bothered me as much. 
20 years before that, I would have been in a crib, which is basically the floor. So <laughs> um, our, glory, our, our glory fades. I wouldn't be complaining about my aching back for a day a couple years ago, but now I am. We, like the grass and flowers, wither and fall away. Our bodies, they slowly become more and more decrepit. Our minds fade away. I had a senior moment today. I walked up to Carl and I looked at him and he looked at me and there was this awkward silence where I was thinking I was going to say something. I was going to say it. And it's gone. <laughs> and I even told him that. I, I mean, I, I really didn't want to cover it up, but I was like, good morning for like the fourth time to him. Um, but, but our glory... No matter how glorious we are, whether it's our exploits in football in high school, whether it's our exploits in business, whether it's our, our, our grandeur of oratory ability, it fades. God's glory doesn't. God's glory is endless. I, we are all dependent on God's glory. Prayer shouldn't be about our glory at all, but instead about our, our fading glory encountering eternal, unending glory. The hypocrites don't understand that. They don't get it. They just want to be seen. We have a great high priest. Think about these words. Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. None of us can say that. But Jesus can sympathize. He can co-suffer. Sympathy is a bad word in our English language, but it's made of two Greek words, soon and pathos. With, suffer. Suffer with. Co-suffering. That's what sympathizing means. It means when you go through the hardest, most horrible times of your life, you have a high priest who can sympathize with you. He's not so high and holy that he's like, oh, you poor stupid ants. That's not how Jesus looks at us. He's eternal in his compassion, eternal in his co-suffering with us. So continuing, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Why do we need to receive mercy? Because we're in time of need. Why do we need to receive grace? Because we're in time of need. Who's not in a time of need for grace and mercy right now? Oh, look, no hands. <laughs> we are constantly needy beggars before a gracious king. That's why we pray. I am dependent on God's glory because my glory fades. As I forget words, as I write something down and it's misspelled, or I put the wrong word down in my outline, that totally didn't happen 30 seconds ago. When I put the wrong word down in my outline, I have to depend on something, and it's not my own intellect. I have to depend on the Lord, who is merciful and gracious. Therefore, since we are dependent on God's glory, we should not stand on street corners and in houses of worship trying to impress others with our ability to pray. But instead... 
coming as needy beggars to a gracious king. I do not expect ever to be invited to some sort of a really big event to pray. Why? Because I am not truly that articulate in my prayers. I come usually pretty simply. Why? Because when I close my eyes and I start praying, the words that I had are gone, (laughs) totally gone. I closed my eyes. I'm now in a form of sleep, and I'm supposed to be praying. One might think that when a needy beggar goes before a king, he has to impress the king, maybe with fine words or a dance or trinkets. But the king of the universe doesn't want us to try and impress him with these things. Let's look, let's look at the next set of verses. Let's look at point two. Point two, I am dependent on God because he knows what I need. So the first one is that I'm dependent on his glory because my glory fades. The second one, I'm dependent because God actually knows what I need. Have you ever gone to a teacher where you feel like you have to defend yourself and you have to use big words, ostentatious words? Who here knows what ostentatious means? Ah, yes, Lisa, good. It means showy, right? It means grandiose. It means being big and loud. Uh, I, 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 we had a, I was at a church where the pastor had retired after like 30 years, and one of his possible replacements came in to preach for us. And, uh, and, and the, guy, the guy was really relatable, really kind. He had a really cool beard. And, uh, and, and then he, uh, he, he goes, all right, let's go ahead and dive into the service and let us pray. Dear God, omnipotent creator, bless us this day. And it was like all of us with our heads bowed, we're like looking up and looking at each other. Like what just happened? (laughs) This guy just became an organ and somebody dropped the octave. That is a silly example, but... Have you ever approached God thinking that God's only going to hear you if you use big words or you're ostentatious or you pray just the right way that God might understand you? See, in pagan religions, Gentile in our text, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. The pagan religions all required some form of a, 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 an offering, maybe an offering to the Greek gods. It was an offering of, of intellect. Or to, uh, to, to, to the Buddhist even, which Jesus is not speaking to because Buddhism doesn't even exist at this point, but it's still applicable. But, but to the Buddhist, you have to chant just right, not going off beat, and then maybe the universe is going to hear what you have said. There is, there's always a proper form of praying in pagan religions, or even in Islam, where God only, Allah only hears you if you're facing Mecca. You, need, you almost have to rely on your works, don't you? in these pagan religions, instead of trusting a loving father who knows what you need. They act like they have to badger a reluctant deity, grabbing his ear 
and saying, look back at me. Notice me. Don't forget me. See, God doesn't require such rituals, nor does he require formulas or even a vast knowledge of proper theological terminology. God only requires trusting petitions. But because, honestly, of our forgetful hearts, we, we might need patterns of prayer. Uh, I have a book that I've read from. I've read from the Valley of Vision, which is a collection of Puritan uh, poems and prayers and devotions. Um, I need those. Why? Because I forget words. Like I said, when my eyes close, I mean, I may as well be asleep. Instead of thinking the proper term, I'm, I'm now thinking, instead of thinking in good four-syllable words, I'm thinking in one-syllable words, the and uh. <laughs> I, need, I need patterns of prayer. Jesus is not forbidding them, obviously, because he gives us a pattern of prayer in the very next section. But they're not necessary to get God's attention. They're necessary for our hearts to be stirred in a proper way. Patterns of prayer are not for God. They're for me. And in terms of prayer, honestly, we should be val valuing quality over quantity. Praying long or using big words is not actually sin. You can use uh, big words. The other, day, the other day I was praying, and I'm not even going to say the word I used, but it's a theological term, but I was praying, and I said this, and I was studying for this, right? And so I get to the, heap, the don't heap up empty words and phrases, and I'm like, <laughs> that's funny. It's not empty. I'm not meaning it empty, but boy, if I were praying that to like any normal person, they would sit there like, what was that word? <laughs> so, so I... I we should be valuing quality over quantity. Sometimes the different word, the bigger word, expresses what we need even better, right? But, but God doesn't need those words. Why? Because he knows what you need before you ask him. That's what Jesus says. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. He knows. He knows. We don't need to be praying long or lofty. It's okay if there's a ton of things that you need to pray for that you pray for a long period of time, but that's more, again, for our heart, for our heart's sake, than for God, who if... Uh, this is a bad teaching, but this is what I was taught early in my, in my faith. If you don't pray the right prayer, God will not answer the right thing. If you don't pray it just right... God will not hear what you really want or need. But that's not true. That's in contrast. That's, that's in contradiction to our verses. And some might even say, you know, the matter's still on my heart. I must go on. I have to keep on praying. I have to keep going. I have to pray all night long, fervently. And that may well be true. You may have to go on. But really, examine your heart. Do you think that God has not heard you yet? Do you think that he might hear you if you word things differently 10, maybe 100 different times? Really, honestly, that shows a lack of, of, of what you think God is capable of understanding. It shows a lack of trust in your father. It's saying, God, you don't actually know what I need, so I'm going to keep phrasing this until you understand what I need. Repent. Pray simply. Trust. 
And some might even argue with me saying, oh, no, 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 no. Look at Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8, and the parable of the persistent widow. Uh, She kept badgering the judge, and the judge finally granted her. But the point, if you, in your own time, read Luke 18, verses 1 through 8, you find that Jesus is actually saying that God is not like the unjust judge. It's not just a judge, it's an unjust judge that doesn't want to grant mercy, that doesn't want to grant any form of justice. And he grants it because he's been badgered. But Jesus straight up says that God is not like that judge. But instead, he delights in granting justice and mercy. Again, Luke 18, 1 through 8. So if anybody in this room wants to argue with me that you need to keep praying, boom, Luke 18, 1 through 8. Mic drop, but it's on a stand. I can't drop the mic. But I also want to let you know that God answers every prayer. Did you know that? God has answered every single prayer I've ever prayed. Isn't that awesome? Every single prayer. It just so happens that sometimes his answer is no. (laughs) Talking to Athena in our class this morning, if I were to pray, God, I want a pony. God looks at me and says, you fool, where are you going to keep it? (laughs) Sometimes God answers with no, and that's a good thing. Why? Because everything that he does is for his glory and our good. So God answers every single prayer. You should pray. You should pray. Romans 8.26, Likewise, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. What that means is that the Holy Spirit is able to translate your babble of like, Lord, I want a pony, into something that's, that's more realistic. Like, God, I want a Maserati. That's not true. I don't want a Maserati. It would get stolen. But friend, all your struggles and sufferings in this world, regardless of how strong, painful, or endless they seem, aren't even worth comparing to the glory that you'll experience. Romans 8.18. If you're struggling to approach God on his throne of endless grace, unearned love, then remember these words, Romans 8, 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Hopeful. I'm dependent on God because God knows what I need. God knows that I need to suffer certain things. Why? Because the, the eternal glory I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through at the end of it, when I come through it, when he rescues me from this world, however that looks, I'm going to look back on this life and I'm going to go, that was nothing. This is awesome. Don't be ashamed to ask God for what you think you need or what you want, but you have to trust that he will happily receive your poorly worded, pitiably phrased requests and translate them into what you truly need, friends. He knows what you truly need. Remember that God knows what we need. And not only does he know what we need, but he also kindly provides in the midst of those sufferings too, doesn't he? When you're going through the hardest of times, aren't there moments of relief, a breath of fresh air, of God's mercy showering down on you in some capacity? He carries us through these things. We're dependent on him for everything, and all things, by the way, are dependent on him. That's point number three. 
I am dependent on God because all things are dependent on God. Look at, look at the Lord's Prayer. Actually, you know, all right, so we could belabor this, right? Uh, there are preachers who take months going through the Lord's Prayer, and, oh, man, there's such a temptation. But, <laughs> but I want us to do more of a flyover because Jesus is giving us three quick examples, right? He's, he's showing us the, the uh, secret righteousness, uh, practice secret righteousness in giving to the needy, in prayer, and in fasting, he's giving us these three examples, so I want us to fly over it. So uh, notice the structure of the Lord's Prayer, right? Actually, I'll just read it. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts, as we have also have forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. How did that start? Let's start with me. That say Scott. What does that say? Scott on earth, holy is your name. Your kingdom come. Wait, no, no, I'm sorry. That's not what it says. It says our Father in heaven. The Lord's prayer starts with God and his kingdom. It's about his will being done throughout all creation, both earth and heaven. And then moves on to our daily struggles, which are physical and spiritual survival, which is how it feels on this earth sometimes, physical and spiritual survival. Doesn't, it doesn't feel like we're, we're doing all that great sometimes, maybe most of the time. And we don't have to treat the Lord's Prayer as a formula, right? This isn't something that you have to pray every single day. Jesus is not saying pray then like this and don't pray any other way. Otherwise, the, the book of Psalms must be heresy. But, but he's saying, look at this. Look at this as a model. The focus of every single line is on God. When we, when we pray, we have to resolve that God deserves all the glory. That's why it starts with God. And when we pray, we have to recognize our dependence on him. Think, think about that. Think about uh, verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. Our daily morsels of food depend on him. And that's hard for us to admit in our world where we work for a paycheck, we worked for retirement, we work and pay into Social Security, and therefore I'm meant to be paid. I am meant to eat. But, but friends, that's not the way it is. You're dependent on God fully. Every bit of you is it. He's the one who gives growth to crops and, uh, and, and reproduction to animals. He's the one that wills the, delivering, the deliveries to processing plants and, and canneries and stores. He's the one who gives us our jobs who's willed those retirement plans into fruition, our social security into actually getting, uh, paying us. We are utterly dependent on God for everything, even, again, your daily morsels of food. Also, our being forgiven of our sins and our being moved away from temptation and into repentance. That's verse 13, by the way. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We are dependent on God for everything. Our prayers should reflect that constant dependence on him. 
for our everything in this world and even in eternity. If Christ had not suffered for us, these, er these words would have simply ended in verse 11. Would have ended with, give us our daily food. But that is not where the Lord finishes his thought because his intention is not simply for daily living, but for eternal life in him. Jesus commands us through Paul in Ephesians 4.32 to forgive as we've been forgiven. So point four, very last one. I am dependent on God for forgiveness so I can forgive others. Praying to God only makes sense if we've received forgiveness. That's a pretty bold, blunt statement. But praying to God only makes sense if you've received his forgiveness. Why? Because otherwise he looks like a capricious, angry, grumpy old grandpa sitting in the sky, just sitting there wagging his finger at you. Don't touch that. But if you've received forgiveness from God, then you understand that you're not approaching an angry, grumpy, capricious, wrathful grandpa in the sky. If a person has not known the forgiveness in Jesus Christ, then that person is pitiable. Because when they pray, if they don't know this forgiveness, they're simply talking into the air. These, they have no faith, no trust in God. Instead, they have a make-believe deity loosely based on what they read in Scripture, and usually they pick and choose, and they don't really know him. They have not received forgiveness. An unforgiven person refuses to forgive. Why? Because they don't know what forgiveness feels like. They don't understand eternal forgiveness in Christ, and therefore they, they, they only understand eternal condemnation, and that's what they give out to everybody else, is eternal condemnation, as much as they can, they can shovel onto them. There is no wrong a person could do to us that would equal our wrongs to God. Nothing. And we live in a world of, of, of hashtag me too, we live in a world of wrongs. We live in a world where people suffer unjustly all the time. And yet there is nothing anybody could do to, to any of us that would equal what we've done to God in our sin. When we hold on to grudges, we can't rightly pray this prayer. If somebody, if somebody is a, is a grudge-keeping person, they read verse 12 and forgive us our debts and then they skip the second part as we have also forgiven our debtors. They cannot read that. They pick and choose. One of these days, I almost want to do a more academic exercise and go through what, what has been coined moralistic therapeutic deism, which is actually, honestly, the American civil religion it's moralistic, do the right thing. It's therapeutic, therefore I'll be comforted. Deism, God is there, but he doesn't really pay much attention. I got to pull his ear, otherwise he doesn't hear me. That is, unfortunately, what people think Christianity is. 
But the forgiven person doesn't hold grudges. The forgiven person reads verses 14 and 15 without condemnation. Where's your heart in this? When you hear these words, for if, uh, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. How's your heart sit in that? Is it getting uneasy? Kind of like you're wearing, uh, wearing pants too tight? Because if it is, you, you ought to check your heart here. The forgiven person forgives others their wrongs. Why? Because they have received an endless well of forgiveness for their own wrongs, and therefore, in, in abundant overflow, they forgive others. That's what Jesus is saying. They realize their futility and their anger toward others. Why? Because God should be endlessly angry with them, but he's not. They find rest and hope, the forgiven person does, in Christ, who forgave them, and therefore they forgive others. Friends, give up on finding repayment for the wrongs others have done to you. Give up. Surrender it to the Lord. By God's grace, some People that have wronged you might actually give restitution for their wrongs, but don't hold on to grudges and let that corruption poison your soul. Remember that old command, love your neighbor as yourself? Gosh, that sounds biblical, doesn't it? Almost like Jesus has said it. Well, it comes first from Leviticus 19.18, which says in full, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Wait a second. One of those great, like, put on, the, put on poster board quotes of Jesus, love your neighbor as yourself, means I have to do something before that? That sounds like the golden rule, right? Treat others the way you wish to be treated. Love your neighbor as yourself. But what we're supposed to do leading up to that is that we shall not take vengeance or even bear a grudge. Bearing a grudge is a way of seeking vengeance against someone who's wronged you. But pause and think of how much more should God seek vengeance against you personally? How much more should we suffer wrath? How much more should we suffer wrath than the person that defrauded us or, or, or harmed us physically or emotionally or whatever happened? God should crush us. And yet he crushed his own son. That is good news. Good news. Therefore, I offer forgiveness to those who have crushed portions of my spirit. I give forgiveness. Even when they don't even want it, I forgive them. Why? Because I am dependent on God's forgiveness so I can forgive others. If God's forgiveness does not cause you to forgive others, then are you forgiven? Do you know what forgiveness tastes like, what it feels like? Do you know the cool, refreshing spring of water going over your angry, hot soul that God's forgiveness gives? Because if you know that, then it should flow straight down into all other wrongs that people have done to you. 
Do not be foolish by holding grudges, but forgive as you've been forgiven. But if you haven't been forgiven, go ahead, hold on to those grudges. Suffer God's vengeance for all eternity. No, don't do that. That would be dumb. Don't do that. Receive the mercy and forgiveness of, of God in Jesus Christ. His death, burial, and resurrection, holding on to your very soul, redeeming it from the death of sin. Friends, we are utterly dependent on God for everything. That's why we pray. And now, suddenly, the sermon summary makes sense. Prayer is an act of pure dependence on God. We pray because we're dependent on his glory, his providence, his providing for our needs, his forgiveness. We're, we're dependent on him for everything, for our breath, our life, our daily morsels. Your daily bread is because of him. Pray to him because of his kindness and compassion, turning your face back to him, not his face back to you. Pray especially when every fiber of your being wants to turn away from him. God is so very compassionate, friends. That's why we pray. We pray because he's so very kind. He's not capricious and angry and, and stuck up. That's not how God is. So much so that he co-suffers with us and died for us. Prayer is an act of pure dependence. So let's pray. God, I am needy, I'm weary, I'm hurting, I'm tired, physically, emotionally. There's things I'm scared about, there's things I'm unsure about, there's things that I, 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 I struggle against, and you know all these things better than I can even express. If I were to begin to confess my sins, Lord, <laughs> my, my, my uh, chapter would be but a foreword to the list of wrongs that you know of me, and yet you've forgiven me. Please, God, help us to see our dependence on you. May we taste your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. Prayer is nothing more than us grabbing on to the one who's already holding us. Prayer is nothing more than us turning our heads back to the one who's looking on us with joy. Go in peace, saints.